Good morning, CFC. Morning. morning. All right, I'd like to, for you to join me in a word of prayer as we open our hearts uh, to yield to the Word of God. Let's, let's pray together. Father, in the next few moments, we will uh, encounter you in your Word. We ask that you would have your way in us. We pray that you would uh, do the work that you do as a master craftsman shaping us into the people you want us to be. Um, uh, we're filled, no doubt, with distractions and uh, various things vying for our attention, uh, pulling at our minds and, and um, keeping us unfocused. So we ask for focus now. We ask that you would, by your grace and through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, arrest our attention, and that, that you would have it. May you do with us as you wish, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are a couple of weeks into our New Year's resolutions. Those of you who have maybe publicly announced it, Facebooked it, that might have been a mistake, uh, shared it with some friends, or maybe just privately kept it to yourself and decided, you know what, I'm going to start this this year or I'm going to do better at this this year. Uh, you all know how difficult it is to do that if you don't have help. If you're not surrounded by like-minded folks that are also on the same path toward the same goal. If your goal is a fitness goal and everyone in your house is constantly eating garbage, it's hard to eat right. If your New Year's resolution is to be on time when you get places, but everyone in your house is chronically getting up late and and taking forever in the bathroom or the shower or whatever it is, it's going to be hard for you to get going where you're supposed to be going, even though that's New Year's resolution, because it's not their New Year's resolution, and you're surrounded by people who have a different goal, maybe an opposing goal to yours. And so we know that our goal is to be godly. We are to grow in godliness. We're to grow in faith. And what makes that difficult is that we live in a world that is increasingly ungodly. I mean, if you compare the TV shows that are airing now, compare it to TV shows that were airing 50 years ago, no-brainer. Compare it to the lyrics of songs now, to lyrics of songs 50 years ago, no-brainer. Compare it to the things that teachers have to wrestle with as they're trying to teach kids in school, to the things that teachers would wrestle with 50 years ago, no-brainer. And so we live in an increasingly opposing world that opposes the gospel, opposes growth in grace. So it's easy to be Christian in here when we're singing songs about him and we're sitting and there's a sermon, there's a pastor and there's members and we're all together. It's easier in here. It's when you're out there. It's when you're surrounded by people who are living in an opposite direction than you're trying to live, okay? So how do we grow even in a difficult place to grow, even where it's difficult? We're going to start a series uh, today through the book of Titus. It's a small letter. Well, the reason why it's so relevant is because if you think you have it rough, or if I think I have it rough trying to shepherd a church in Itasca, okay, you have, to, you have to think of a place like Crete, okay? Even today, sometimes it's, it's not as common anymore, but we'll, if someone's called a Cretan, 
they're bad news. Okay, they're bad news. Crete was well known for being the, the pit. I mean, just uh, they'll, they'll steal from you, they'll stab each other in the back. Uh, no one's honest. Just a bad place. But Paul and company planted a church there and then told Titus, hey, you got this. See ya. And so here you got Titus, this rookie pastoral figure in this place called Crete, full of immorality, full of um, uh, sin that is commonplace. It is just common to sin. It is weird to think about doing anything else or doing things differently. Yet here you have a few Christians that have banded together. They just recently gave their lives to Christ, but this church doesn't have elders yet. They don't have deacons yet. Titus is just, he's, he's a greenhorn, and he's trying to put things together there in a place that is hotly opposed to godliness. So if we think we have it bad, they had it worse. Because they're an upstart church. They don't have a lineage of veterans, Christians that pass the faith down. This is brand new to them. And so as we look at this letter, we're going to see Paul writing a short letter to Titus and giving Titus what he needs to develop godliness in the church even though they're living in an ungodly place. He's going to give Titus what he needs to shepherd this church through. How do we do that? How do we grow as a church? How do we develop our godliness as a church? How do we enhance our faith, grow in our faith? How do we love the Lord more, even when the world continually loves Him less? So if you can, turn with me to the book of Titus. It's easy to skip when you're thumbing through because it's not very long. But if you see First and Second Timothy, it's right after First and Second Timothy. If you hit Philemon, Hebrews, James, you went too far. Titus is right in between First and Second Timothy and Philemon and Hebrews and James. The letter of Paul to Titus. The theme of this book is developing godliness in the church, even in a place like Crete. Okay, that, that's the theme of the book. That is the goal of the letter. You'll see that right in the beginning. We're going to look at the first four verses. Paul, verse 1, right, is writing to Titus, verse 4. Because it's a normal greeting. This is a letter. This is an epistle, they call it. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Now Paul either never learned the value of not using run-on sentences or didn't care. But, but that's his M.O. Long sentences with a bunch of commas. Just end this, which this, in order that this, because of that, and don't forget this, just long, okay? But he's trying to squeeze it in there. He's got very limited parchment, okay, and very limited, limited ink. He's scratching this off on, on some, some rough uh, uh, parchment of some kind, and he's sending it off to Titus. 
And uh, he's not bothering with indentations and spacing and stuff like that. He's just trying to squeeze it in there. But the reason why the sentence is there is easy to gloss over because you're looking at this. Yeah, this is the letter. This is just the greeting. I mean, when you read greetings, you often don't put a whole lot of effort into understanding what they mean by that. If you're opening a letter and it says, dear whoever, dear Lucas, I don't sit there and go, dear Lucas, dear Lucas, I'm dear to them. I am dear to this person. You know, when I get to the end and it says sincerely, I'm like, oh, I thought they were insincere, but they're saying this is sincere. I get it. Let me go read this again because I thought it was lying and now I realize he was telling the truth. Sincerely, this person. Oh, you know, we just don't even, our eyes don't even pay attention to it because dear this, sincerely that, you know. So it's easy to do that with scripture because you're like, oh, Paul, a servant of blah, 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 the elect, blah, 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 to Titus, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's get into it in verse 5. But between who it's from and who it's to, you have the long sentence that matters. Because in that sentence, he's giving you the reason why he's even writing this letter. So he doesn't start, hey, this is from Paul. Hey, this is to Titus. Let's jump in at verse 5. No, he's saying Paul for a reason to Titus. And so we're just going to unpack that reason a little bit because it is the theme of the book. It is why the letter is here. It is why it is in our Bibles. And it has everything to do with you leaving these doors and living a godly life in modern world Crete. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's a messenger of Jesus Christ. He has a message. He's been charged with a message to give. For who? To encourage Titus. Well, not really. Titus is the middleman. But the letter is for the sake of the faith of the congregation that Titus is leading. Paul is writing this, quote, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So we have a faith, and it can be increased, it can be enhanced, it can be matured. And that's Paul's goal here. That's why he's writing this letter. He's not writing the letter to make sure that the church has enough chairs for everybody, to make sure that the church you know, turns on the heat early enough for people to feel comfortable. Hey, all those things matter, and that's all great. But he wants to get right to the nitty-gritty, the purpose of why we're here, the purpose of why we even do what we do. Why is there a church in Crete? Why did Paul leave Titus? To, to, what did he leave him there to do? For their, the sake of their faith. For their faith. Okay, so as they grow in their faith, it's going to look like something. So he says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, God's people, the people that God has pulled out of the world and called to himself, yanked out of the darkness and brought into the light, is for the sake of their faith and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Okay, now we're going to camp out there for a while. The purpose of this letter is for the sake of their faith and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Okay. Now, there's, and is a funny word, okay? There's different ways to use it in any language, okay? It's a conjunction, but conjunctions are funny because you can use them different ways. You can use and and then introduce something completely different, like when you're in a drive-thru and you say, I want a cheeseburger and fries. And means something else. I'm adding to the first thing. I want burger and fries and a Coke. They're three different things, right? But that's not the only way to use the word and. If you're at home and... Uh, 
you know, you're, you're really wanting to work on your marriage and your wife is asking you to explain why you did something and you say, you get up and you say, look, I'm doing this for the sake of our marriage and the commitment that we made together. That's a perfectly normal sentence, right? You can say that. I, I'm, I'm doing this for the sake of our marriage and the commitment that we made together. But your wife isn't going to, oh, our marriage and not only our marriage, but also a commitment that we made together. What commitment? Marriage. So you can use and to explain something that you already said. It doesn't mean something different. Why am I going through grammar with you guys? Because grammar is important. Okay? If it meant and something else, it would mean that you need faith. And you need to add to that faith knowledge. Otherwise, you don't make it. Otherwise, you don't make it. If you don't have enough knowledge to add to your faith, then you're out, my friend. Because it's this, the burger and the Coke, right? It's the two different items that you have to add together to make the complete meal. If that's what he was saying, then we would have no hope. We wouldn't have hope because you never are going to accumulate enough knowledge. And you're never going to know how much knowledge is enough. Do I need a PhD in theology? Do I need two PhDs? Do I need three PhDs? How many PhDs can I get? I'm, you know, impossible. But look at what he says. Verse 2, in hope of eternal life. He wants them to know that they have this hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised. It's a sure thing. Before the ages began, at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Faith is the key to eternal life. Faith is the necessary element to eternal life, and it is the only necessary element to have eternal life. If someone ever asks you, what does it take to be a Christian, to, to be a believer, what does it take to know that you're getting to heaven? What does it take to be in a relationship with the Father? The answer is faith, not faith plus this, plus that, plus that. That's false. It is only faith so we're going to get into this knowledge which accords with godliness but first we have to make sure we understand that paul is not saying faith plus learning some truth plus live a little bit godly and the three in conjunction will get you your hope of eternal life that is not what he's saying so what we're going to do to belabor this a little bit intentionally okay i'm going to throw a few verses up on the screen we're going to kind of go through them rapid fire that we are saved by faith alone Not faith plus stuff. Faith plus knowing things. Faith plus doing things. It is just faith. And we're going to look at a few of these. All right, so first one, John 3, 16, very familiar verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes, that's faith, in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is the game changer there? Faith. Not whosoever does more stuff. Whosoever believes. Romans 3, 28. Yeah, we got the next one. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. In other words, by faith separated from the things that you do. Regardless of what you do, it's faith by itself that justifies you, that saves you. Next. What does Scripture say? Remember Abraham? He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The card that Abraham swiped and it was given him, credit of righteousness was given to his account, that, that card was faith. It's not what he did. It's not what he said, it's what he believed. Romans 4.3, for what is uh, Romans 5.1? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is the game changer. Next one. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, you heard truth, 
the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Faith is the game changer in Ephesians 1.13. Next one. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. In other words, not the things that you can do or say or perform. It is the gift of God only. And that gift is the faith that you've been saved through. Ephesians 2.8. Next one. Paul is writing that he's been found in him, but not having a righteousness of my own, Paul says, that comes from the law. In other words, the righteousness that I get can't come from anything that I do or perform, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Okay, there was 50, 60 verses we could have easily gone to there. I just picked a few. But I want to make sure we understand That as we go through the letter of Titus, Paul is not saying you need to know enough and you need to do enough to be in. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you're in, you're going to know and you're going to do. And you're sitting there going, I'm not sure how that's different. Oh, it's different. Because one of them, you're on this side of salvation looking to get in by what you know and by what you do. The other one is you're in salvation, which now frees you up to be able to know and be able to do. You have now been imparted the desire to want to know and want to do, which is different from being over here, and your only desire to want to know and do is to try to get in. But you can't get in that way. You can only get in by faith. I can't know enough, and I can't do enough. Jesus knew enough. Jesus did enough. I believe that, and that faith factor puts me in. Now that I'm in, I want to live godly. Not to earn Christ's salvation, not to earn what God, the, you know, relationship with the Father, but because I'm in a relationship with the Father, I want to be godly. I want to live like Him. I want to pursue Him. I want to strive. How do I do that in a world full of people surrounding me that don't want to do it, that do the opposite? Well, Paul tells him on the purpose of this letter. He says, I'm writing for the sake of the faith. I want their faith to grow. Yes, even in Crete. Yes, even though it's terrible. By the way, if you just drop your eyes down to verse 12, real quick, just a side note. Paul quotes one of the, uh, a, a famous prophet. Some people believe it was Epinemides. I think I pronounced that right. He, uh, he quotes him and says, listen, even a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And you would think Paul says, but, you know, hey, give them a chance. That's, not, that's, that's kind of unfair. No, verse 13, he says, and that's true. So you're in a messed up place dealing with messed up people and trying to plant a church there, man. It's tough. You need this letter that I'm writing you. So when you're reading this introduction, verses 1 through 4, it's crucial to understand the way Paul lays it out so that we understand the rest of the letter. I want their faith to grow. I'm writing for the sake of their faith. The purpose of my writing is for the faith of the people that you're in charge of, God's elect. And, not a different reality, but and like marriage, and the commitment that we made. It's the same thing, but I'm explaining it. What does faith look like? It looks like knowledge of the truth. It looks like knowledge of the truth. How do we know he's not adding to it? Because of all those verses we just looked at. Therefore, if he's not adding to it, he's explaining it, unpacking it a little bit. What does faith look like? He unpacks it a little bit. And what's inside that package? Knowledge. Knowledge of truth. In other words, for the sake of your faith, for the quality of your faith, for the growth of your faith, you need knowledge of truth. And he's going to hammer this 
all over the book of Titus. He hammered it all over First and Second Timothy. Doctrine, 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 doctrine. You remember the letter to the seven churches, the seven letters to the seven churches in the beginning of Revelation? And Jesus goes one by one and gives his thumbs up to some things that the churches are doing and some thumbs down to some of the things that the church is doing. He says, I commend you for this, but you got to work on that. Most of the things laid out there is doctrinal. I love that you don't tolerate the bad teaching of the Nicolaitans, for example. I'm not pleased with you tolerating some of these false teachers. Today we go from church to church and we measure them on their programs, how many people are in there, how well lighted the stage is. We call it a stage. That might be a little bit of a misdirect. Your faith consists of knowledge of the truth. And as we read through this letter, you're going to see how Paul helps Timothy, uh, Titus understand that one of the tasks that he has is to help the church grow in their knowledge of the truth and to protect them from false teaching. Our problem is that a lot of us, we leave that for the nerds. You know, the ones that buy the Bibles with the extra space in the margin and they bring six different colored markers because they're color coding the topics of the Bible and stuff and you know, they're like real serious, and those are like the real nerdy ones. You know, I'm more hands-on. I go to the homeless shelters, and it's like there's this group and there's that group. No. In fact, some of my time that I spent with homeless people, some of them ask the toughest questions. What are you going to do with that? I don't know. I don't know why God allows you to be homeless, but I just want to give you cookies. How do you answer that question? Why am I homeless? God is a punk. Well, if you don't know anything, you can't give them anything. Knowledge of the truth is essential to the growth of your faith. It's not for the nerds. It's not for just people who don't have any time on their hands. It's not for people that are retired. And you know, you'll get to that later. Faith is now. That means knowledge is now. It requires knowledge of the truth. Now, we know that there's different ways to attain knowledge, right? You can hang out with a person and model them. You see what they're doing and you do what they're doing. That's one way of attaining knowledge. But we know that Paul has in mind at least propositional truth. What does that mean? It means a proposition. I'm giving you a proposition and I'm telling you this is truth. I want you to learn this. How do I know that? Drop down to verse uh, 3. God promised this hope. Before the ages began, verse 3, and at the proper time manifested in his word. That's his truth. And how is it manifest? Through preaching. You know, today we have a lot of churches that are kind of wanting to move away from preaching and move into more, let's kick around a topic together. You know, listen, kick around a topic, discussions, that's great. That's why we have growth groups. That is awesome. Okay. But there's a place for preaching. There's a place for proclamation. Someone standing up and giving you the truth. That doesn't mean someone stands up and spoon feeds you it, you know, and you don't think left or right about it. You just swallow it, go home, and do what the guy says up there. No, as long as it accords with this. That's why Paul said, his word, his word that I preached, not just my thoughts. It wasn't random. It wasn't my blog, you know. It was his word that was manifested through my preaching. And if it's God's word that is manifested through preaching, the preaching counts. And the preaching is one avenue to deliver knowledge 
of the truth so that you can grow in your faith. But then he has another phrase, continuing his run-on sentence. I'm writing this for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. What is an accord? A sedan? You know, like a a Honda Accord? What is that? What is according? What does that mean? To go along with, corresponds with, goes together with, shouldn't be separated from, goes hand in hand together with. Knowledge of truth, which accords with, goes with, is paired together with godliness. Godliness is behavior. Godliness is holiness. Living the way God tells you to live. Living the way Jesus would live. That's godliness. It's action. It's what you do. It's how you behave. Knowledge of the truth is what you believe. Godliness is how you behave. And Paul's saying you cannot separate behavior from belief. Now, is it possible for someone to go to seminary, get a degree in theology, and still behave like a sinner? Yes. Yes. But we don't, we don't then conclude from that that knowledge is irrelevant to behavior because that's not true. If someone tells you, hey, look, I've known professors, pastors with degrees, and the ones that I've met, they're punks, they've cheated on their wives. Listen, knowledge kills you, it stifles you, it suffocates you. I don't want knowledge. I just want to love Jesus. Wrong. You can't love Jesus without knowledge. You cannot love Jesus without knowledge. You remember when Jesus said, hey, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Okay, well, what are your commands? Knowledge begins. You've got to know his commands in order to follow his commands. Where do we have his commands? In Scripture. Like the Gospels, for instance. Well, I've got to read the Gospels. I, gotta, I don't like reading. It's too informational. It's how God set it up. And so he expects this of the church, regardless of where they are, where they're situated, regardless of how new the church is. This is what he expects of the church, and this is what he expects of Titus as he leaves them there to lead this church and growing in their faith. To teach them knowledge of the truth, but reminding them that that knowledge corresponds to, accords with godliness. Now for many of us, some of us, you know, in, in churches today, our problem is we want to get godly, but we deprive ourselves of truth. And then we get stuck. We get stuck and then we're like, what happened? I was all fired up. What happened there? Well, you were fired up because you learned the truth. You know, what set you free in the beginning? What set you free? Knowledge of the truth. The truth set you free. That's what set you free. It wasn't any random truth. It wasn't two plus two equals four. That's the truth. I'm free. It's the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. It's a specific truth. So when Paul talks about knowledge of the truth, he doesn't just mean, you know, read Wikipedia all day. What he's meaning is the gospel and what God has revealed in the word and, in, and through Jesus Christ. But when we try to get godly and try to live for God, but we're not giving ourselves truth, it's like you're training for a triathlon and you're eating Frosted Flakes. And that's all you eat. The, the corn syrup and the sugar and the milk, and that's all you have. You don't have protein. You're not getting good carbs. You're not getting, you're just eating junk, candy. 
and that's all you do. And you're training for this event, and you're tired, and you're wiped out, and you kind of have an insulin crash or whatever it is, you know, and all the runners are running past you, and you're like, what's going on? You're not eating. And, and what Paul is trying to say is you want to get people to godliness, you've got to feed them truth. If you don't feed them truth, you starve them, they become weak, and then they have a hard time running this race. You want to run the race well. You don't skip over what you need to grow. And what you need to grow are the vitamins, the nutrients, the protein, the, the fats, the carbs that are provided in the Word of God. They're provided in the Word of God. So, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Now, I've been around uh, churches that long enough to realize that not everyone shares the same level of uh, desire to parse the words of Scripture, to look at the verbs and the nouns and look at what's similar and what's different and just really reflect on a verse for a long time and catch things there that you didn't see before and to bring a journal to church and take notes, you know, and, and, and afterwards ask the pastor, hey, so I was looking at this and it, it didn't match that. How does that work? And all that, you know, that thirst for knowledge. Some people, it's just, that's, that's their love language for God. It's easy for them to, to get into Christianity that way. It might be harder for them to go visit the sick, okay? But what I want to, the point I want to score with you this morning is that we have to stop thinking in terms of either or. I'm this kind of Christian, I'm a hands-on Christian, or I'm that kind of, I'm more of a mental guy. Everyone else does the work. It, but they go hand in hand. They go together. And so it starts with knowledge of the truth. I was tempted to do this, and I decided, not. Nah, let me not do this. But I almost wanted to pass out like a, a little theology quiz. Like literally print it out and just pass it out to everybody. And let's just see how we're doing. You know, let's see how we're at. Some basic uh, questions about theology just for you to kind of gauge like oh i thought i knew stuff but maybe i didn't or i didn't think i knew stuff but actually i'm encouraged because i do know some stuff you know because some of us feel like we don't know anything and we're hard on ourselves when actually if you think about it and you actually sat down and talked with somebody who doesn't know anything you're a wealth of knowledge just the fact that you've been sitting here um the songs that we sing teaching truth the sermons that you sit under teaching truth and so faith consists of knowledge together with godliness. And what we need to do is not deprive ourselves of knowledge. Okay, back in December 7th, we had a similar sermon from uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. And uh, the point was the same. And why am I hitting again? Because this is going to be the theme throughout Titus. And what I would like for us to do, as we are focusing on discipling others, okay, one of, that's our main focus, especially this year, passing on the faith to others, You've got to know what you're passing on. You've got to know what you're developing in someone else. If you're passing your faith on to your kids and they start asking questions, you're not going to dodge them. Look it up. Find out. Right? If you're a little bit spiritually ahead of your spouse and your spouse is trying to learn and turn around and help your spouse, you can't do that if you're not learning, if you're not growing. If you come on Sundays and go, wow, that was a lot of knowledge, but I just have a couple of questions. You have access to me. You can get access to me easily. But the growth group is a place where you can get together with other Christians and have similar questions who live in a similar environment that you do. And to kick that around together and say, okay, how do we live this? But the goal is not to just attain knowledge, but it's to live it. But we don't live it by skipping 
knowledge. I was on a missions trip, and it was a really difficult, difficult missions trip because we were in the Bahamas. Yeah, it was, man, it was tough. The water was, like, really clear, and it was annoying. No, it wasn't. It was awesome. I remember being on a street corner one day, and um, the team of Moody students that we were with uh, were about four or five of them kind of standing around one guy, local uh, native to the island, and uh, they were kind of having a, having a interesting-looking discussion. So I, I came around, and he was, like, destroying them. You know, about things like the Trinity and inspiration of the Bible and, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I want to convey the story correctly because what I don't want to say is I came in and I saved the day because I had the knowledge, right? That's not exactly how it went. But what I realized was he was, he was dominating the conversation, right? Confusing them with things and verses and stuff like that. Okay, whatever. And I didn't know the answers to everything that he was putting out there. But I came into the conversation And I began with the truth that I did understand. I said, okay, hold on a second. This is clear. And I just laid down some basic stuff. And then when he said, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, this verse and that verse and that verse. Remember that? Okay, that's true. And then the the conversation came back down to earth. Why? Because I knew stuff. Okay? Now, all all of us had prayed. All of us were praying that this would be a successful missions trip. All of us were hoping that we would talk to people and they would come to Christ. But... I think some of us sometimes think we're just going to give people a rosy picture of Jesus and they're going to go, wow. And No, they've got questions. So we've got to be able to convey truth. Now, you're going to get stumped. There's going to be questions that people ask that are going to make you go, hmm, not sure. Let me look that up. Okay? But what you do is you actually do look that up, figure that out, wrestle with it, dig a little bit, and get back and say, hey, you know what? This is the conclusion that I'm arriving to. Let's look at these passages together. Let's figure this out. But we, we, what we don't want to do is skip over knowledge, hire a pastor to be the in-house expert. Hey, ask him. No, we want to be on a learning path. You cannot love God without learning from him. You have to learn from him in order to love him. They go hand in hand. Godliness, loving him, learning from him, knowledge of the truth. And so this year, my hope, my expectation is that you'll take every opportunity to increase your level of learning. My fear is that some of you might feel like this is a little bit tough of a challenge because you are, um, you are not a big reader. Some of us don't really enjoy reading. Just show me the movie version of it. Um, you know, we don't mind watching shows, but it's hard to read books. Um, it's not because we're unintelligent. It's just some of us are wired different ways. I look at my four kids. Some of them love to read. Some of them not as much. People are different. But in this case, what I want you to know is that if you're not going to read anything, fine. Don't read the top ten books that you know, Barnes and Noble, fine, don't read the paper, just watch the news, fine, don't read blogs, just whatever, that's, that's fine, okay, you got to read scripture, you, you have to read scripture, you have to, God inspired words to be put down on a paper, and thousands of years later, 
it's still down on paper. It's that way for a reason. Something happens when you're looking at it and you're not just hearing it. Now, you can listen to the Bible on tape and stuff like that, and that's, that's great. But there's something about reading it and then reading the helps. You know, I'm looking at a passage and I'm going, man, I don't understand this at first. Are there other people that have unpacked this already? Can I kind of ask them for help? Yes, you can. And so there are books that aren't the Bible, but they help shed light on what the Bible says, and you want to access those books. If you are a big reader and all you read is fiction, not healthy. Not healthy. You want to get to nonfiction to get some nitty-gritty foundational knowledge of the truth. Now, this, our church, myself, we can point you in the right direction. What books do you grab? There are, there's bad stuff and there's good stuff. In the book of Titus, we're going to get to this whole thing of false teachers. And I want to try to lay out some principles to protect you from what is false. I'm not going to give you a list. Don't listen to these guys. Only listen to these guys because that doesn't really help you, right? What I'm going to give you is the tools to discern between the good guys and the bad guys. We're going to give you those tools. But it has to start with a decision on your part to say, you know what? Maybe I'm not a big reader, but I'm at least going to read this. It might take me a year to read a 50-page book. Fine. Read it. I'll page a week. Just read it. Just, just ingest it. Underline it. Do whatever you have to do. Don't understand something. Talk with someone else. We're also going to put, uh, coming up pretty soon, a reading list, a suggested reading list online at our website. And that, that's going to be a great starting place for you to grab a couple of books, one or two, and, and just start your journey of taking your knowledge to the next level. Are you at level two? Take it to three. If you're level eight, that's fine. Let's go nine. Okay, wherever you are, taking it further for the sake of your faith. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and we're going to close in a song together.